Well, the most basic truths of Christianity are the most important. And those most basic truths we get used to and we don't realize how important they are sometimes and how much they have delivered us from just because we know that truth and and in some measure walk in it. So I'm going to deal with one of the most basic truths tonight, uh, and that has to do with the Christian view of nature. Uh, I titled it, This is My Father's World. Um, maybe we could just turn to Psalm 24 uh, as a place to begin. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The earth is the Lord's. Let's pray here before we go on. Father, we ask that you would help us to uh, see again something of the wonder of this most basic truth that the earth is yours. You made it. You sustain it. You're bringing it to its destined end and purpose. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I will probably speak on this twice because uh, I felt like I had, I was going to just do it once, but it seemed like I had a little bit too much material for one evening, so we'll probably look at this two times. What the Bible teaches on nature um, is really distinct from what all the other world's religions except Islam teaches. And that exception is because Islam, uh, Muhammad, borrowed from the biblical revelation in this area. So when you're talking about creation, you're talking about Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Other than that, you won't find it in the world's religions. Uh, This doctrine of the creation of the universe by God out of nothing is not found in the Hindu scriptures. It's not found in the writings of Buddha. You won't find it in what Confucius had to say. Um, Just those ten words that the Bible begins with, those first ten words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, are a truth or involved there in those words are a number of truths that have delivered you and I, if we believe them, from all manner of evil and error. Uh, For instance, you're not an atheist, if you believe that. That's for sure. Uh, It will deliver you just those ten words in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth will deliver you from the foolishness of saying that there is no God. It will also deliver you from the foolishness of humanism, that man is the major of all things. No, God's the major. He's the one that made it. It'll deliver you from the error of materialism, that matter is all there is. There's no soul or spirit. No, in the beginning, God. 
in the beginning God. Materialism is absolutely wrong. Then it'll uh, you get more over into the realm of what we normally think of religion. Uh, it'll deliver you from animism. That is the idea that nature is alive with gods. There's a sun god and a moon god and a river goddess and a tree spirit and all those kind of things. And people are afraid of those things around the world. You don't have to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It will deliver you from the foolishness of pantheism, the idea that the universe is God. The, uh, the world and God are really one. Um, and along with that, usually in pantheism, comes the idea that actually the universe, the physical world, is an illusion. It delivers you from that. No, it's the real thing. God made it. But it's not God. So it'll deliver you from that. It'll deliver you from polytheism. The idea that there are many finite gods. No, in the beginning, God, the one God, created everything else. Um, it'll deliver you from this so-called New Age thinking, which is rehashed pantheism. Uh, and in that rehashed pantheism, sometimes... The idea, since uh, God is all and all is God, then you're God. No, you're not. Deliver you from that right off the bat. In the beginning, God created you, but you're not God. Uh, and uh, along with that type of thing, the whole idea of you being God and God being one, um, or that everything is God, comes a host of evil in terms of just the way you view even right and wrong. Because if all, if God is all, then all is permissible. You see that? If God's all, then all is permissible. Uh, one very famous murderer, cult leader and murderer of the 1960s, Charles Manson, he was right. If, if pantheism is right, he said, if God is one, what is bad? If everything's God, what's bad? Nothing. So it doesn't matter if you kill somebody. Well, I'm saying just that those ten words, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, it'll deliver you from idolatry, worshiping the uh, creature rather than the creator. Uh, we know right off only God should be worshipped and God created everything else. Everything else isn't God. Shouldn't you shouldn't worship anything else but God. Um, nothing created is to be worshipped. So, it's a basic truth, a vital truth, a truth that delivers us from all kinds of of evil and error, and I've probably just mentioned uh, the surface of the wrong thinking that comes in if you don't hold to this truth. But what I want to do is state some principles that are important in understanding the biblical view of nature. Some principles that are important in understanding the biblical 
view of nature. First of all, God created the natural realm. God created the natural realm. That means that it's real. It's not an illusion. Objective reality exists. You know that there are people, because they don't have that basic truth, they actually don't believe that objective reality exists. At least they say they don't. So, God created the natural realm. Under that heading, it's real, it's not an illusion. It's not divine, but it is good. Only God's divine. But because the divine one made it, it is good. He made it. It's his handiwork. Nature is good because it is the product of his good will, and he pronounced it good. Since it is the product of an infinitely rational and orderly being, that is God, it is orderly and predictable. We say, so what? That's very important. Because if it wasn't, you couldn't learn anything about it. Let me read. Um, I've been reading a book here lately called How Now Shall We Live? Kind of it's a take on Schaefer's book. Uh, how, I mean, the title is How, how Then Shall We Live? But this is by Coulson and a, Charles Coulson and a man named Nancy, or a woman named Nancy Percy. And I just wanted to read a small quote under this section here. Of, Since it is the product of an infinitely rational and orderly being, it is orderly and predictable. Um, another unique contribution of Christianity is the idea of laws of nature. No other religion or culture, Eastern or Western, has ever used the word law in relation to nature. In fact, before modern times, most people regarded nature as mysterious, dangerous, and chaotic. As a result, notes historian Coral Becker, the idea of natural law did not arise from ordinary experience, but only from the biblical teaching that God is both creator and lawgiver. <coughs> So, God, being orderly, has made an orderly universe. And along with that, uh, that means it's worth discovering because it's his handiwork, you see. He's made something orderly and beautiful, and he's made it for us to discover more about it. And as we discover more about it, we discover more about him. Uh, it's worth discovering because it, because it is his handiwork. It is worth protecting for the same reason. If I want to please God, I will want to treat what he has made with respect. It's his handiwork, you see. It's like his artwork. You don't go to an artist's beautiful painting and start messing, up, messing it up if you respect the artist at all. Besides that, because it declares something of the glory of God, if you mess that up, you're messing up part of his message to people, part of his way of declaring himself to people.
Do you understand that? Let me say it another way. To destroy or disfigure nature is to distort its testimony of God. So, God created the natural realm. It's a testimony of who he is, of his reality, and some, some truths about him. Second, then, that was all under God created the natural realm. The second thing I would say is that God made humans, male and female, in his image so they have a distinct and unique place in the realm of nature. They're part of nature in one sense because they're part of creation, but they're a unique part of creation. Uh, man, mankind, male and female, have a relationship downward to the rest of nature because we're finite and created like the rest of nature is. So we have a relation that way um, because of being creatures just like the flower or the porpoise or the tree or whatever. And we have that relationship downward. But because of being made in God's image, humans can have a much more important relationship upward toward God and with God. God's personal. He made us personal. In a way, in a unique way, we're made in the image of God like nothing else is. So we can have a, a relationship that way, upward, with God. And so... Uh, you might say it this way. We are part of nature, yet set apart from it and set over it. We're part of it, we're set apart from it, and set over it. And that leads me to the next point. God gave humans the responsibility to have dominion over and care for nature. We are to be stewards of God's world. Initially, as God made mankind, Adam and Eve, his special creation, uh, we were to have authority over the rest of creation. And we're told in, in the book of Genesis that we were to populate and manage and care for and develop the earth. You know... This is kind of a, I think, intriguing way of thinking about uh, Genesis chapter 1 where it says, um, uh, let's see, this would be verse 28. God blessed them and God said, said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's interesting to me is that's the first command of the Bible. What's the, ask somebody, what's the first commandment God ever gave mankind? Well, it was this right here. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's the first commandment in the Bible. So God gave humans a responsibility to have dominion over the rest of creation. Uh, you see it also in uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Um, so 
a responsibility over the realm of nature. Sometimes this is called the, the cultural mandate. Uh, I call it the natural mandate. Uh, and I, there's so much involved in this that we just, we just uh, read over it and don't realize. But I think uh, it, it includes, one area it includes is, is our scientific endeavors. Science is, you know, trying to understand and know creation better, the, the natural realm better. And um, God has said we're free to explore this. And not, not just that, we're encouraged to explore this realm, this whole realm of nature that God has made, to investigate it. We're, that's part of subduing it. And I, I like the way God uh, put man, just right away he puts him in charge of naming the animals. That was a scientific endeavor. Um, it implies, one thing it implies, that nature is knowable. That nature is knowable. That is, there's a correlation between the observer, that is, the person, the scientist, and the observed, what you're looking at out there. Again, you see, uh, we take these things for granted. It's like, well, of course. <laughs> but the fact is, a lot of people don't take that for granted. And they never know if, if I mean, in their theory anyway, they just say, I don't know if there's any correlation between what's going on in here and what's out there. Well, how do you know there's any correlation? I mean, maybe I'm just dreaming this all. Maybe, it's, maybe you know what I'm seeing is not real. How do you know that that's not the case? Well, you know, because God tells you that's not the case. He put the first man in charge of naming the animals. He said, he brought them to him and said, okay, you look at it and tell me what that is. Well, if there's no correlation between the observer and the observed, it wouldn't make any, that wouldn't make any sense. See, if you don't believe this basic truth here of the creation, you don't have a basis for science. And... Uh, you don't even know if you can trust your own senses. It's foundational. We, we take, uh, again, we take these things for granted, you see, and we don't see how earth shaking, just something simple, uh, like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and this thing of God having man name the animals, how... Um, foundational and important that is. Um, the order of nature can be discovered by the human mind because God made us in his image a rational creature in an orderly universe with a reliable correlation between our sense perceptions and the external world. You know, let, let me just give you a little example. Some people are colorblind. Your husband's colorblind. So when he looks out and sees something, he sees it a little different than Terry does. 
But maybe we're all seeing it all wrong. Maybe there isn't such a thing as color. How do you know that that's not right? Well, God has made, he's told you that he has made you as a rational creature to understand his world, to, to, work, to investigate his world. So you know that that's reality, that, that there's, there is a correlation, a reliable correlation between what's going on in here and what's out there. It may not be perfect, some of us, you know, have some little things a little bit messed up. <laughs> but there's a, a reliable enough correlation there that we can, we can investigate and experiment and learn things about God's world. Well, anyway, that was all under the heading of God gave humans the responsibility to have dominion over and care for nature. You couldn't do that if there wasn't a correlation between the observer and the observed. Number four, one of the purposes of the natural or the material or the natural world, uh, natural world is better, uh, is to provide for human needs. One of the purposes is God made a creation for us to live in and to live off of. It's there for us. Let's look at, uh, well, you don't have to turn to it. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be for food for you. Uh, So there's nothing wrong with utilizing the natural resources that God has given. Uh, they're, They're there for our needs if it's done in a responsible manner, in a manner that's in accord with what God has revealed to us. Uh, we are to cultivate and keep God's world, so that implies not misusing or abusing what he's given to us. We, are, we have a stewardship, not an ownership. He owns it. And loans it, you might say. He owns it and loans it to us. uh, And we will give an account to him for how we use it. Number five, and this is as far as we'll get this evening. The fall of mankind because of sin has radically changed nature and our relationship to it. Not only did sin alienate us from God and from each other and from ourselves, it also alienated us from nature and it actually alienated nature itself from itself. Nature from nature. That came about because of the fall of man. And the part I want to zero in on here is even nature itself. Even in nature itself, things are now not as God created them. As near as I can tell from the scriptures, there would have been no shedding of blood 
in the world as God first made it. And the reason I say that is because of these verses I just read you about. God saying, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be for you for food. But then it goes on and says, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. In other words, the animals would eat the plants. There would be no, what the poet calls, nature red, R-E-D, nature red in tooth and claw. Nature ripping itself apart in order to survive, you see. So, we have that situation. We also have man now fallen, often exercising this dominion that God originally made for man. He exercises it now, and man does, wrongly, cruelly, exploiting and misusing the natural realm. What was supposed to be a harmonious relationship between humans and nature is now out of sync. It's not the way it should be. And we see that expressed as part of the results of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. And, of course, that is also brought out in terms of the realm of nature being under the curse. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation, all of nature, groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. You know, God told Eve after the fall, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. And that's the same position all of creation is in. That's the same position nature is in right now, groaning in pain until Christ comes again and the curse is lifted and God creates a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You almost have the picture of the creation groaning in pain to bring forth the new creation. But it's, it's, it's groaning in the same, partly be, waiting, you see, for God to bring in that new creation. It can't bring it forth itself. It has to be God that does it. And, but it's, it's, it's like the pain of childbirth. And uh, the thing that we should remember is that the truths of salvation and redemption apply not only to human beings, but to all of God's creation.
We usually don't think about that. But what God has done in Christ is not just for the deliverance of this one little part of creation called mankind. It's for the deliverance of all of creation. And creation is, it says, groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. I think really, you know, Isaac Watts kind of put that in in his song, No more let sin and sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Uh, Joy to the world. Let heaven and nature sing. So until the curse is lifted from creation, we should be demonstrating a different attitude toward nature than fallen humanity does. And that goes off in a lot of different areas, and that's what I want to deal with some next time. Because we're new creatures in Christ, you see, we should be showing forth a different attitude towards nature than uh, what those who do not know God and understand his truth show forth. We should be treating God's world in accord with God's word and praying for the coming of his kingdom that will bring forth the redemption, not just for us, but for all of creation, uh, his kingdom in every area. And I think that's what I'm going to close with this poem by Amy Carmichael. I've read it before in a different context, but uh, this is what she's saying, I think, uh, at least partly in this poem. She says, Because of little children soiled and disinherited despoiled, because of hurt things, feathered, furred, tormented beast, imprisoned bird, because of many folded grief, beyond redress, beyond belief, because the word is true that saith, The whole creation travaileth. Of all our prayers, this is the sum. O come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, that's a brief introduction uh, and a few points related to how we should view nature. The the, uh, Christian view, that's what I'm trying to deal with here, is the Christian view of nature, and we'll take it up again next time, Lord willing.